Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for who you are and what you have done on our behalf, namely in your son Jesus and sending him to die for for our sins and to make us in right relationship with you. We praise you for that. Do not let us take that glorious truth for granted. And Lord, we do praise you also for your word and how it is true and sweet and good um, and beautiful. And we pray that this study about your word and how your word is put together um, would be a benefit to our body, would help us to come to a greater understanding of your of your Bible, of, your, of the Holy Scriptures that you have given to us through the generations, through the, the many sacrifices and even deaths, um, so that we could have a, our Bibles in, in our native tongue. What a, what a blessing that is that we can study your word, um, even in the comfort of our own homes. Um, help us not forsake this privilege. Um, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're beginning a new series that I'm very excited about. It is going to be a study through the Old Testament. And we're going to be using this book, which is called Dominion and Dynasty, A Theology of the Hebrew Bible. Um, And it's going to be kind of our guide through the Old Testament. And I do want to say a couple things up front about the book and about potentially purchasing it. Sorry, Art Baker. Um, I actually don't suggest buying the book and following along during the series. I mean, you can buy the book. It is a good book because we're studying it. Um, but unlike the other series I've done so far in Sunday School, this particular book is a lot more technical and academic in nature, so it may not be worth the purchase. For those of you who hear the words technical and academic and you immediately get excited, then feel free to buy the book and dig into it. Um, But I would also say that the nature of this series is going to result in me not following along as closely with Dempster, who's the author of the book, um, the way I did with DeYoung and the the Shriner Studies, our past two series. I'm going to be following Dempster's basic outline and structure and follow along his thesis and his arguments, but I will be diverging at several points like today, and and adding several supplemental sources along the way that will hopefully help and be a benefit to the overall learning of the the concept. So that's just my preliminary advice on if you're deciding to purchase the book to follow along. It might not be the most helpful um, thing to do just because I'm going to be jumping around in the book, but it is a great book and you're more than free to do so. Now, what we have here in this book is, as the subtitle says, a theology of the Hebrew Bible, or a theology of the Old Testament. But it's important to note that this book is a part of a series led and edited by D.A. Carson called New Studies in Biblical Theology. New Studies in Biblical Theology, which is a series of a number of different books dedicated to the theological field of biblical theology. So it's important to note from the start that, that what this book is. Right, it is a biblical theology approach to the Old Testament. 
or you could say a biblical theological approach to the Old Testament. Now that word and that concept of biblical theology has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. So at the beginning of this series, and this study in particular, I thought it would be helpful to, do, to provide a definition and uh, an, an explanation of what I am and what, what Dempster is meaning by the term biblical theology. Because we're using that term to mean a very specific thing. It's not a general term, but it's a specific term, a technical term. And I'm going to be relying on the definition given in this book, which is really an excellent book. It's called 40 Questions About Biblical Theology. It's written by three authors, Jason Derushi, Oren Martin, Andy Nacelli. And really, if you, after today you're, you're interested in this topic, I think this is a great introductory book to start with, to, to read, to get your feet wet in the field of biblical theology. But in this book, Nacelli offers the definition of biblical theology we'll be using during this study, or that I will be using, um, and that I think closely ties with Dempster's understanding. And this is the definition. It's quite long, so I'm going to say it twice, and we're going to go through it, so you don't have to memorize it. But the definition is this, from Nacelli. Biblical theology is a way of analyzing and synthesizing the Bible that makes organic salvation historical, historical connections with the whole canon on its own terms. Biblical theology is a way of analyzing and synthesizing the Bible that makes organic salvation historical connections with the whole canon on its own terms. And what I want us to do is I want us to go through four aspects of that definition just to parse out what we're meaning in more detail to get a better idea and grasp of the discipline of biblical theology, which, remember, is what Dempster is doing in his book. You have to forgive me. My voice is still recovering from a sickness, so I'm going to have to take a lot of breaks with water. But You can pray for that, too. So the first word I want to focus on is organic in this definition, organic. Because I don't think it's actually the most helpful term, at least not the most obvious in meaning to me. So biblical theology is a way of analyzing the Bible that makes organic connections within the whole canon. Organic connections. Now by organic, what Nacelli means is how elements harmoniously grow together as parts of a whole. So don't think organic like natural grocers like I did initially when I read this. That's not as helpful, or maybe it is, but rather organic as in natural growth of an organism, of, of something. So Nacelli gives an illustration of an apple tree. An apple tree starts as a seed that, that sprouts and slowly grows into a mature tree that bears apples. The tree has several parts, roots, trunks, branches, leaves, and then eventually apples, and it's all on one tree. The Bible is similar in that there are many themes that start off early in the Bible storyline as seeds, and that eventually sprout and grow into a, ma a mature tree that bears fruit with, with many different parts. So biblical theology, and sticking with the illustration, studies and synthesizes 
that growth, that organic growth of the, of the tree or the biblical storyline from seed to tree. It traces and analyzes that growth by making connections between biblical themes, which shows how the, the parts of Scripture, the, the different aspects of Scripture relate to the whole, the whole story of Scripture. Now, to bring that to a practical level, what organic means is that the Bible has themes woven throughout, which we're going to talk about some of these themes through, throughout this study, so this will become more obvious. But for now, we need to see that the Bible is a book made up of, of various texts from various genres, and across all of these various parts of Scripture, these different genres, these different texts, there are themes, unified themes, that can be traced, that, that, that you can notice, that you can see in the text, and those themes make a cohesive whole. And Dempster is going to spend a lot of time proving that in the first chapter of his book, which we're going to get to here in a moment, especially in regard to the Old Testament. Now, the second part of the definition we need to analyze is that biblical theology makes organic salvation historical connections. Salvation historical connections in the biblical text. So salvation historical is a way to refer to the Bible's redemptive storyline. Or another way to say this is that the, 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 the story of Scripture, of the entire Bible, which shows us that God has a plan to save a people, to save, to save his people from their sins and to, to, to save or redeem them. We see this as the storyline moves from creation to, to, to the fall to redemption to, to final consummation, from Genesis to Revelation. This is the, the history of redemption or the, the story of salvation. And the task of biblical theology is to connect different people, events, institutions, themes found in the various stories and teachings found in Scripture and connect them, connect them within this larger story of redemption. And it's very important to note that this is not some just arbitrary decision made, made by interpreters or made by scholars. This is not just done on a whim, as we're going to see later in this lesson. Right? This is actually God's story of redemption, which happened in real, actual history. Right? It is a true story. With a, with a real history, and the recording of this real salvation history, this, this redemptive story, has connections in it intended by God in his word as this story is revealed to us. A third part of this definition I want us to, to look at is, is that biblical theology makes these organic salvation historical connections by analyzing, analyzing the, the whole canon of Scripture, 
by analyzing the whole canon of Scripture. And Dempster deals a lot with, in his chapter, what, what we're about to get to, of this idea that the only way to properly interpret the Old Testament is to analyze the Old Testament by viewing it as one book, as one book with several diverse parts. And in the same way, we could say that about the entire Bible. That it is one book, one canon, one story with a diversity of different texts from different genres and, and different authors. And Nacelli, in, in this chapter, tells how there are different ways that one could, could do biblical theology then, since we study the whole canon. Really, there's, there's a vast amount of ways to engage in the discipline of biblical theology. So first, biblical theology can focus on one specific book in the canon of Scripture, and you can, you can focus how that book contributes to the whole Bible's biblical theology, the, the whole Bible's historical um, redemptive storyline. Or you can, you can focus on one particular theme in a particular book and how that relates to that same theme in the rest of the Bible. So, for example, you could focus on the theme and concept of seed in Genesis and how it relates to the concept of seed and the rest of the story of Scripture. Or you can focus on righteousness in Romans and how it relates to the theme of righteousness that we see in the rest of Scripture. Another way to do biblical theology is to focus on the corpus of a single author, whether it's, it's Paul, Peter, or, or Moses, and, and you can analyze, you can see how their unique contributions to the canon contribute to the, to the larger themes, the, the larger patterns found in the whole of Scripture. And a final way one could do biblical theology is by focusing on a larger section of Scripture, like by focusing on the whole Bible or one of the Testaments. And that is exactly what Dempster is doing in Dominion and Dynasty in this book that we're going to study. He is doing Old Testament theology. Excuse me. But to do a proper biblical theology of the Old Testament as Christians, you can't just stay in the Old Testament, right? Because we have the New Testament. We have the full special revelation of God. And we have to interpret and study the, the patterns and connections in any portion of Scripture. So in our instance, what we're going to do, like, like in the Old Testament, as portions of the whole of Scripture. Or we have to study the, the Old Testament in light of the whole biblical canon. And this brings up a concept very important to biblical theology, and that is the concept of progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. So progressive revelation conveys the idea that God in the Bible has progressively revealed um, the scriptures throughout history, or you could say in time. So the New Testament ha happened historically in time after the Old. That seems basic, right? Um, this is even more basic. Jesus came after David, who came, who, who came after Joshua, who came after Moses, who came after Abraham, who came after 
Adam in history and in time. And again, the Bible is actual, real history. And because of this, we see a progressive nature to Revelation, whereby we could say later Revelation builds on earlier Revelation. As more of the story or or history is revealed in time, in space, in actual history. Because God did not reveal everything about himself or, or his plan at one moment in history, right? He, his plan unfolded over time through different people, through different institutions and, and people groups, and, and culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we see a progressive nature to the scriptures and that as the history of salvation unfolds and is recorded, we gain a greater clarity, a greater understanding or of the meaning of earlier texts because we have a fuller, um, a fuller picture of God's plan of redemption as time goes on in history. So this idea of progressive revelation, I think, guards us against two dangers that we need to be aware of and two dangers Christians too often fall into which we're, we're, we're trying to avoid as a church by doing this study. And the first is to read the Old Testament not, not in light of the New Testament. And we don't, the danger of, the, of this, of reading your Bibles this way, is you don't fully see how, how um, Christ is the, the fulfillment of every promise and theme of the Old Testament. The, the other danger is the opposite, to read the New Testament not in light of the Old Testament. And that is what Dempster's book and what we're going to be doing over the next week, weeks, months, is seeking to address. That, that to right, rightly understand the New Testament, and I would say to rightly understand the, the whole of Scripture, the whole Bible, we must rightly understand the Old Testament, which are fundamentally connected. And that, that, that really is, in one sentence, the whole goal of this study. Now, the, the last area of this definition of biblical theology I want us to think about is this idea of interpreting the whole canon of Scripture on its own terms. On its own terms. So this really is an important concept um, that Dempster is going to deal a lot with throughout his book in the Old Testament context, the idea is that the biblical text sets the agenda for how we interpret the text. The biblical text sets the agenda for how we interpret the text. So biblical theology prioritizes a passage's literary context above anything else to to rightly understand that passage, to, to have a right interpretation of that passage. And by literary context, we mean the role that a Bible passage plays in in its immediate context and in the section of literature that it's in and in the whole book that that passage is in and even the broader context of the testament that the, the passage sits in. So how does the text fit in? Another way to say this is how does the text fit in with the overall story? Not just the 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 
the little story, I can't think of a better word, it's probably a better word, the little story that the, that the text is situated in, but the whole story that the whole Bible is telling. Nacelli writes well here saying, Biblical theology is essentially whole Bible, redemptive historical exegesis or interpretation. Analyzing text after text after text to discern what the authors intended to communicate. So exegesis, which is, we could just say interpretation, draws the meaning out of a text. And biblical theology does that for the entire unified God-breathed Bible. So we'll say that last sentence again. Interpretation or exegesis of a particular text draws the meaning out of that text, and biblical theology does that, that, that same process of drawing the meaning out of text, for the entire unified God-breathed Bible. And I think that last statement is key to this whole study. The big idea is that the the whole Bible has a unified, coherent meaning that we are to understand through careful study and through careful interpretation. So the whole Bible has a unified, coherent meaning that we are to understand through, through careful interpretation and careful study of those texts. And Dempster's book is focusing primarily on the coherent and unified meaning and themes found in the Old Testament, in our Old Testament, that the New Testament authors will then connect these same themes, which this is, I find to be very amazing. The New Testament authors connect these same themes, these same patterns to the person and work of Christ, who is the fulfillment of all these things that we are going to see in the Old Testament. And if you're paying attention, this should connect a lot of thoughts to, to what Blake has been preaching um, in the past month, specifically of Jesus' claims of himself in relation to the Old Testament, which I think is awesome. So that is a lot. You just got a probably like a seminary course in 15 minutes. So you can study this for months and months. Um, but that's just a brief introduction definition of biblical theology, which is the discipline that, that Dempster in this book is engaging in. So any questions or comments so far? Well, he's a pretty safe source, so there you go. <laughs> that sounds right. Because it, it uh, the Old Testament is part of God's revelation, spe special revelation to us. So it is necessary for us to fully understand who God is and the char his character and his attributes in a way that we wouldn't have if we just had the New Testament dropped from us. Anything? No, I can. Well, and, and, and in a moment, when I get into the Dempster chapter, he's going to talk not really about specific passages, um, but how to read the Bible with a, a literary method. But anyone else? Can think of one, Blake, or John? I think, yes, I think that's exactly right. And I think we're going to see that as we go through this Old Testament study and see these, the promises um, given by God not fulfilled or, or the people of Israel um, failing um, 
And I think you are supposed to feel, like you said, this tension as we read this, this story being revealed over time, where this tension that something is not right. And someone has to make it right. Um, so yeah, I think that is a great benefit of biblical theology. And before moving on, I would just say, if this isn't making sense, so if you're at a kindergarten level, which kindergarten makes sense, so... You did have a true statement. Um, but like most things in life, when you see it be done, when you, when you see it happen, it, it begins to make more sense to you. Um, so this book, the, the Sunday School series that we're doing, um, is a practice in biblical theology. So you will see how Dempster applies a lot, a lot of what I just went through practically. Um, and I think it'll help these concepts, if they seem abstract to you, which they can, I understand they can, if they seem foreign to you, it'll, it'll make them much more concrete to you, um, at least that's my hope, as we see it, as we see it done for us firsthand, right, it'll, be a, it'll help us learn and understand this discipline. So now moving on to the Dempster book, in chapter one of his book, he's really out to answer answer a, a single question, and that is this. Is the Old Testament one book with an overarching theme or plot line, or is the Old te Testament a collection of different texts that have no cohesive message or meaning? And I'm sure you can guess his answer by our definition of biblical theology, um, but Dempster here is really entering an academic debate, which if you have the book, you probably have noticed that. Um, very technical, very technical in his language, but it's really important, and it's, it's actually an extremely important debate um, at the time he was writing in, I think, 1996, 97, 98, um, which were kind of removed 30 years from then, but it was, it's still, I would argue, an extremely important debate that it would be beneficial for us to enter along with Dempster. And again, it surrounds this question, is the Old Testament one text or many texts with no coherent unified meaning? And Dempster begins this section by stating that the Old Testament, at first sight to us, obviously looks like one book, right? It, I have a Hebrew Bible in my office, and it, it uh, has one cover, all of the contents contents. Are, are, are on pages in one binding, uh, just like any other one book. It's a big book, it's about 1,500 pages long, but it, it looks like a book. It looks like a single book. But Dempster's helpful in reminding us that for most of the Old Testament's early life, it was never a book in that technical sense, or having all the contents in one place. It was a collection of books which were actually scrolls kept together in an archive or, or library or, or some sacred place. And because of this historical reality, because that is true, which it is true, there are some scholars who then argue that any unity of theme or message found in these series of different scrolls that we now have in, in our one Old Testament, any claim to unity of message made by these scholars, this is the scholar's claim, not my claim, but any claim to have unity is completely arbitrary or man-made. 
The argument is that it could not have one meaning. It could not have one unified message because it was never a, intended to be a one-volume book it, that you could just hold with one hand. It, it was never meant to be that. This is the claim of the, some of these scholars. And I think they, they feel like they can mic drop then and the debate's over. Now, Dempster's entering that debate, right? Dempster obviously disagrees with this. And the reason for that, I think, is pretty compelling. And I think it's actually pretty obvious, if you think about it. First, Dempster makes the observation that, yes, the Old Testament did not historically have physical unity. That is true. Physical unity in one book. But that is for technological reasons that there was no, not scrolls large enough to contain all of the words in the Old Testament. The Old Testament contains a lot of words, right? I'm sure anyone who's done a yearly reading plan can attest to this, that that is a big bulk of your Bible reading will be Old Testament. It, it is big. There's just a lot of words. So the Old Testament was written on five different separate scrolls. And here's what is important. To the Jewish people, the sequencing of these scrolls was extremely important. And this makes sense to us, right? It would not make sense to have the Pentateuch come after the exile in Babylon and their sequencing. Just from a chronological sense, right? It just wouldn't make sense. And Dempster makes the larger point that not just for chronological cohesion was the order of these scrolls important for the Jews, but listen to this, this is key. But also because we can see linguistic, stylistic, and thematic devices used by the various authors that ensure a conceptual unity was established between the five scrolls. And that's really key. So even though the, the technological limitations of the day didn't allow for all the words to be in one place, like, like our Old Testaments do today, there are still clear thematic and linguistic connections that, that you can trace between all of these writings, which is, which is magnificent, honestly. And it implies heavily a type of unity and cohesion of the overall text. Not, not, not just even a chronological unity, right? There's, there's, there's a different type of unity, thematic unity. Now, I don't think this should be controversial, but unfortunately, like most things in the world, it is. Um, not controversial, I think, in our circles and evangelical conservative um, Christian circles, but definitely amongst the liberal Christian scholars, which, remember, this is who Dempster is engaging with. Sometimes these scholars are called critical scholars, but I just want to re re reiterate again the idea this is really important. The idea of, of not having physical unity in a text does not necessarily imply conceptual disunity. And I'm going to argue to you that that concept is definitely not foreign to us. Think of a multi-volume work like The Lord of the Rings. There are three separate books, maybe four. How many, Lord? you count The Hobbit? No, not The Hobbit. Okay, so three. There's three Lord of the Ring books. Um, 
there's three separate books that are physically not united in one text, right? They're on three different scrolls, so to speak. But they're kept on one bookshelf together. Why? Because they, they, they clearly have a thematic connection with each other. They have the same characters. They're talking about the same places. They have the same ring of power. Um, I've honestly only watched the movies, so that might not be the best illustration. <laughs> Does someone groan over there? <laughs> I could have used something else. <laughs> um, but they clearly have a thematic connection. There are three books, but one story. So we have that concept very clear, right, um, in our minds. Now, what makes the Old Testament a little more complicated, actually quite a bit more complicated than the Lord of the Rings illustration, is that we have multiple different authors over a period of almost a millennium with various different genres of literature from narrative to poetry to psalms to, to, to wisdom literature that make up our Old Testament. And so non-believing uh, liberal Christian scholars, which there's an oxymoron or some contradiction in there, have a very difficult time believing that all of these different texts can make up one cohesive text given the vast diversity of the literature of the Old Testament. It's just very hard for them to believe. And here is where, as Christians, we need to have a presupposition reminder. And that is, as Christians, we believe that the Bible, which again contains the Old Testament, is the very Word of God. So you could say that for no other reason than a theological reason, that God's revelation given to us in the Old Testament actually has one author, that's, that's the reason, the divine author, that there's unity. So, so while yes, there are many human authors, we know from later revelation in places like 2 Timothy 3.16, that all the words of Scripture are God-breathed. They're, they're inspired. They're, they are the word of God. God is the final author of his revelation to us. Therefore, we should have an expectation of unity and a single story, given that there is one author who is revealing himself and his plan to save a people for himself. And we, and we see this plan again through the text and his revelation to us and his scriptures. So we should expect to see a unity amongst the diversity of the different human authors because God is the ultimate author, the divine author of that text. But Dempster goes a step further, and I think this is interesting, and I think it's, it's correct, and argues that the literary evidence, so not because of a theological reason of the text having one author, God, but just studying the Old Testament on its own terms of the literature contained in it will prove that there is remarkable structural and thematic unity throughout the text. And there is an obvious narrative framework to the, to the Old Testament, starting with, with creation, to the, to the formation of a nation, Israel, to the, to the exile of that nation, to the, to the return from exile. And next week, we're going to spend most of our time um, on the structure of the Old Testament and, and how we should put together this larger narrative the Old Testament tells. 
But for now, we need to see that the evidence is pretty clear that, that the Old Testament is one book made up of, of several smaller texts, of, of smaller literary texts from various genres and, and time periods from different authors. But there are thematic and linguistic connections within this diversity that prove to us there is one overall message or, or even messages that is being communicated to us, the reader, by the unified whole of the Old Testament. Again, this is a little technical, but I think this will be, I just want to say this up front, this will, I, this will definitely be the most difficult um, lesson to follow in this, in this study because Dempster's laying a lot of the groundwork, a lot of the foundation that's, that's necessary um, to, to understand his findings in the Old Testament, to, to understand his interpretation of the Old Testament. So we have to do this difficult work to enjoy the fruits of that labor, to, to, to understand why we are coming to the conclusions we're coming to when we're analyzing Scripture in this way. So any questions or comments before moving on? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Me too. So we talked about one, one presupposition we need to have to do biblical theology, which is to have the belief that Scripture with all of its different diverse parts, is God's word. Meaning God is the divine author of his scriptures. But another presupposition we need to be reminded of is that scripture is God's word. Emphasis on a word. The Bible, the Old Testament, was given to us in words. In prepositions and, and paragraphs and stories and uh, poetry and proverbs. Now, there, there's a danger that we've already seen the, the liberal scholars make, which is to view, to view the scriptures as merely literature, as not a religious text per se, but just a very big, good book that should be analyzed like every other great historic book, something like um, the Iliad or the, the Odyssey. That's how we should come to approach our Bibles. Obviously, we see the glaring error there as Christians, right? of not believing that the Bible is the Word of God and His special revelation to His people. Now, the error on the opposite end is to not view that Scripture is literary in any sense, which neglects or even rejects the fact that God's Word has come to us in a diverse group of different types of literature. And to be ignorant or neglectful of the literary nature and structure of Scripture is very, very detrimental to our understanding of the text, to our understanding of God's Word. And Dempster says, ignorance of the Bible's literary feature impedes understanding. Ignorance of the Bible's literary features impedes understanding. And I think that's exactly right and why his book is so valuable for us. Because it is only when we view Scripture as a literary whole, one book with an overarching message or story of God's redemptive story of restoring um, 
the, his lost creation after the fall and restoring a people back to himself, if we don't see that overarching story throughout the Bible, then we will miss the, the main point. I would say that the whole point of God's revelation to us in the scriptures, which is a massive tra- travesty and, and a big danger that we need to seek to avoid. So one of Dempster's big arguments, and really a big argument that is a catalyst for the discipline of biblical theology itself, is this, that God's word is literature, or written works, and those written words first must be properly understood before their message can be observed and followed. So we have to properly understand what the authors are intending in their words before we can actually be obedient to follow that message. And this is what Dempster calls having a literary approach to the text of Scripture. A literary approach to the text of Scripture. Which highlights the point that God's word did not come down to us in some mysterious heavenly language that none of us can understand. Although some people say that about Hebrew, but it's just, they're American. The the Scriptures were written by by human authors who used known human languages, and therefore to understand the meaning of Scripture, we need to understand how the words and the sentences and the prepositions and the stories connect to each other to create a meaning in a text. That, in a word, is what interpretation is. And Dempster makes the point that because the Bible is not just mere literature, as claimed by some, it's not just some nice human document, but actually is also the word of God, then our comprehension of the scriptures is actually imperative to our Christian life, to to our discipleship. So in a very basic sense, doing right biblical theology is key to discipleship as we rightly understand God's word to us. That's why this study that we're going to embark on is so important, important to me and the elders, because the only way we can comprehend the scriptures is to understand and know the literary nature of the scriptures themselves. Again, this is really a key principle in this book and in the discipline of biblical theology as a whole. And Dempster has a a helpful concluding section here on this this literary approach to scripture that he's advocating for that kind of echoes what, what John was saying earlier about genres. But he writes, a linguistic sensitivity to the rich diversity of genres found within the Bible and their hermeneutical implications is extremely important. He goes on to say, a parable should not be read like the narration of a historical event. A poem in the Psalms should not be interpreted like a chronicle from Kings. A vision in Daniel, not as a literal story. Moreover, what drives the literary approach is the, need to not to, is the need to get not just the little text right, but the big text, or what C.S. Lewis called the overall message. So it is through a, a right interpretation of the scriptures, which a right interpretation only comes from interpreting a text based on its literary nature and context, that we can come to have a right understanding of the overall message of the text. That's really Dempster's whole main point here in chapter 1, and and really the the impetus for the discipline of biblical theology. Now this gets back to the original question of the chapter, which is whether the Bible is truly a text in the sense as just described, as a unified piece of literature. 
that is purposefully connected in thematic ways? Or is it just a hodgepodge of different texts that have no coherent storyline or have no coherent unity? And I want to think about this more because I've said this before, but it really is quite important to get this down. So there are some, again, I would argue, non-believing academics who, whose living is to study the Bible, and, and, and they study the biblical text as literary and, his, and a historical accident, right, from man-made decisions and political reasons. Um, and they do this, right, primarily because they reject that the Bible is God's word in any real sense. So again, they have a, a theological issue. They, they don't believe the Bible is God's revelation. And then they make the claim that any view that expects to see human authors have a unified theme or story that they're developing over several generations through several different genres, any claim like that is absolutely ridiculous. That's their claim. To them, it just seems impossible. And I want to think about this quickly because... I would just reply that this line of thinking is a terrible way, a, a bad way to do hermeneutics or, or interpreting texts or just the discipline of history in general. There, there, there is an assumption here that the authors of the biblical text could not have the ability to make the brilliant connections and literary techniques necessary to develop a plot and themes that unfold in the Old Testament story. The argument basically comes down to the Old Testament authors just weren't that smart. They just did not have the ability to write this type of literature. It just couldn't have been done. So now, not even talking about the divine author who breathed out these words, which we could say, of course, God is the author of Scripture, and we should expect to see brilliance and unity and these thematic connections that we see throughout the whole of Scripture, and we can say that, and it's true, but I also think we can make the claim that we have no evidence that the Old Testament authors were stupid. We just don't. In fact, I would assume they are brilliant in the types of literature that we do have from them in our Bibles. And these Old Testament texts, as we're going to see through this study, and it's been my prayer that we see this, they, there are brilliant connections made in this literature by these authors. It's put together brilliantly. So I just reject this kind of thinking, and I think we should too, from these um, critical scholars. And Dempster keeps bringing this up. If you read the chapter, he keeps bringing up this way of reading the Bible, which may seem odd to us, because we're part of the Reformed, uh, conservative, evangelical tradition at this church, who does not view scripture the way the, these, these critical scholars do, right? No, no one here, I hope, views scripture as not unified and just a hodgepodge of different texts. Um, no one views it as merely literature. But it's good to be reminded that much of what is occurring, even still today at elite religious institutions in this country and around the world, is still this sort of denial of the Bible being a supernatural form of revelation and to just view it as any other text. 
And Dempster points out that this stands against the great tradition of Christian thinkers and the church and generations of believers who have always understood the text of scriptures to have fundamental unity, again, by virtue of it being God's word. And Dempster makes the, the argument that one of the main issues that has occurred, even in the believing community, and again, remember, he's writing a little earlier than us, our current context, but he says that the influence of this type of interpretation by critical scholars in the academy is that confessing Christians have sometimes even missed the forest for the trees. And what Dempster means by invoking this language of missing the forest for the trees is, is that so much of the critical literary movement of studying the Bible as literature alone has, has focused on the studying the individual parts of Scripture while neglecting the whole or the, the overall cohesive message of the books. Because, again, they denied it could exist. And now, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, the church, which I can't speak to this from experience, but apparently the church had suffered ill effects of not understanding the full forest of Scripture. There was just a general um, lack of of an understanding of the overall message of the Bible because of the influence of these scholars in the academies across this country. Now, I would say, I think that has changed in the last 20 to 30 years, personally. And this is just my assessment, but much of what Dempster is writing about is not the case for us anymore. And I think that's a great thing. That is a blessing. Um, Because we have faithful, believing scholars who over the last two and three decades have received or who revived reading the Bible in these biblical theological categories that interpret the individual of Scripture through the lens of the whole overarching story, the, the, the grand narrative of the biblical message. But it's very good to know where we came from, because that was not that long ago. That's within most of our lifetimes, um, even recent history, that, that Dempster was writing in, in the late 90s, of a very real threat to... Um, understanding the Bible in these biblical theological categories and the dangers we may one day also have to avoid and defend against. And I'm going to end this morning by by exploring a metaphor that Dempster uses in this chapter that I think highlight really the, the everything he's taught. Um, And the illustration comes from photography, which I don't know much about. Dempster says, if one is constantly using the zoom lens on a piece of sculpture such as Mount Rushmore, one will note the worn surface of some rocks and the sedimentary contour of others. But unless one is able to step back with a wide angle lens and take in the big picture, the point of it all has been lost. And Dempster is saying the rise of what he is calling zoom lens disciplines, such as focusing solely on the setting of a text or, or the philology, which is just the, the, the historical study of, of language, or, or the grammatical features of a text solely, which, which, which those aren't wrong per se. Those, those are necessary to have good interpretation. And Dempster's going to use those tools. But a sole focus on these in biblical interpretation leads to a loss 
of a wide-angle lens perspective of missing the big picture of the whole Old Testament and the whole biblical storyline. And the obvious danger in that is that without taking in and understanding the big picture, then we will miss what God is intending to communicate to us through His Word. Dem- Dempster uses another metaphor that I can relate to more, which is food, eating food specifically. And he's saying what some of this critical biblical scholarship does is try to unscramble the textual omelet. Right? An omelet is a dish, delicious egg enchilada, casserole type thing <laughs> with many diverse ingredients that make up the whole of the omelet, which altogether tastes wonderful. And some scholars focus so much on the onion or the bacon or the mushroom or the cheese of the omelet and forget that there's actually an omelet here. There is actually a larger whole that all of these ingredients together make. And so too this occurs in some biblical scholarship that neglects the overall message and story of the whole of Scripture by focusing on the minute details and the parts of Scripture that make up the whole. And here's the big point. Biblical theology, what Dempster is doing in this book, is remembering the whole. It's remembering the omelet. Remembering the larger book and the larger themes that make up the cohesive text of the Old and New Testaments. So to go back to his photography metaphor, Dempster writes here that, that the thesis of his book is this is when the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is read and reread and read and reread again and again with a wide-angle lens, then the faces of the biblical Rushmore will be seen clearly. If the Old Testament is read in this way, then it will be read as a, a single book and not a rag bag of, of different unrelated texts. And we will find the true, when we do this, if we, if we do it rightly, we will find the true God-intended meaning as we see the interconnected unity of the whole text of the Scriptures rather than viewing it as a collage of, of diverse documents with no connection. Again, this might not sound groundbreaking or revolutionary, which I think is a blessing in God's grace to us, because this is just what we believe. This is what we believe. But that's not always been the case, which is important. But it is really important because as Christians, as people of the book, people of the Bible, we we need to understand that there is an overall cohesive message from beginning to the end of Scripture that reveals our God to us and his redemptive plan to save a people for himself. And it is the goal of this book by Dempster and the goal of this Sunday School series that we will see clearly the the thematic, the theological connections woven through the whole Old Testament so that we can have a greater understanding of how to read our Bible and our daily devotions. That, That we can have a greater understanding of receiving God's Word preached to us as we're about to embark in and and our our service. So that is the goal, the big idea of this series. Um, Before we end, we have like two minutes for questions, comments, Mr. Yeah, that's a great point that 
there's a danger to, to not, if you neglect the overall um, message or, or themes, the, the, the story of the overall picture of the Bible, one danger is to just view it kind of as a giant self-help book or to, to fix your issues type of book, which is not how God intended it for us to come. Although when we do read it and submit our lives to it, what happens? Fixes a lot of our issues, but that's not the primary intended meaning. Well, that's all I have for us today. We'll see you next week where we're going to talk about the Old Testament some more. So thank you. You are dismissed.